Well, I want to take a moment to update you on Sherry. I know I've been doing that the last uh, few weeks, but it's important because she's not only important to our family, but she's important to our church life here. And uh, so this week, uh, Sherry took uh, a little fall. Uh, she, uh, her body is uh, to the point now with this cancer that she's very weakened. And so when she was in ER, we uh, made the determination along with her that it was time to go to the Warren County, County Butler County Hospice. And so she's there for getting great care. And, um, and really when you're at this stage of, of cancer and where she is, I think that, um, that all of us have kind of this view of or perspective of heaven, of course. And that moving from this life to the next life uh, is really a difficult and yet also a very beautiful kind of experience. And so we are just praying for that for Sherry when that moment comes. And um, she knows that you all dearly love her. She knows how much you mean to her. And, uh, and I want you to know how much that you mean uh, to her. And, uh, and I know she knows how much um, that, uh, that, that you matter as well. Uh, so continue to pray for her and uh, continue to pray for my mom as well as uh, she is uh, there and supportive. She's very close to mom's house, which is nice. Mom went there the other day at 2.30 in the morning and uh, she woke up and said, well, normally I'd go down and see Sherry in the middle of the night. So I'm just going to go down the road and see her in the middle of the night. She did that. 2.30, Sherry looked up and said, what in the world are you doing here? And um, but uh, Sherry's best friend uh, from the Northeast is coming down tonight, which is going to be great for her as well. So um, uh, continue to keep her in your prayers. Let's uh, go to God in prayer. God, we thank you so much for how you walk with us in this life. How you walk with us on this side of heaven, God. And how you walk with us to the other side of eternity. And God, we thank you. And I thank God as believers in Jesus who have hope for eternal life. These end of life moments are both difficult, but they're also celebratory. They're challenging, but they're also filled with joy. Because we, got, we know God in, the, in, in heaven. We know that you love us. And we know that you have a great future prepared for us and for all those who follow you. And so God, today we celebrate you. And we continue to ask for your guidance and your wisdom and your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been in a message series that has been uh, on our hearts since January in the book of James. And we have gone verse by verse, section by section in the book of James. And today is the last two verses in chapter 5, the last two verses in this book, uh, the book of James. And I don't know about you, but as you read through the book of James, there are many times where it is piercing, it is probing, it is penetrating in your heart because uh, there are just one line after another where James is giving us the words of God and, uh, and it really is sort of an evaluation of where you are with Christ. And this day is no different than that as James ends this, chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. And what we're going to deal with today is this question. What do you do when a Christian friend begins to drift away from God? Let's say you become aware that a fellow believer has developed a drinking problem or some addictive behavior, and, and people are whispering, and you can see the damage that's being done to their personality, and you can see the damage that's being done to their family, and you can see the damage that's being done in their work life. 
do you lovingly confront them or do you just let them drift away? I mean, after all, it's, it's their life, right? Or let's suppose you have an older child who is uh, living with a member of the opposite sex. And, and as they grew up, they grew up as a Christian young person and they understood uh, morality and values. And, but in recent years, you've detected this kind of drift away from those things. And you know they're in, living in sexual immorality, which the Bible uh, has things to say about. And for them, it's no big deal. So what do you do? Do you just courageously discuss the situation in love or do, do you just let them go on their way? After all, times have changed. Let's say there's a friend from church that has been absent for quite a while now and, and, um, and you've noticed that and, and when you ask them about it, they say something like this. Yeah, well, we'll be back at some point. We've just been so busy. It turns out, you know, we bought a place by the lake and, and we work hard all week and we've just been enjoying our time, relaxing at our, at our place there and but listen, we do try to listen to the sermon online. Do you respond supportively and just kind of say, boy, what lucky are you? And boy, I wish I had a place on the lake as well. And, and, uh, or do you say, you know what, there, you find a way to kind of lovingly persuade and encourage them. This is what James addresses. And he says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Friends, here is some much-needed counsel for the church today. Because I know we, we all understand, judge not lest you be judged. We all understand the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery and Jesus saying, he who is without sin cast the first stone. But very rarely will you hear a message where that James says today that whoever restores a sinner from the error of their way, you are saving them from death. So this is not something that, that we often hear about. And friends, it is not just the job of the pastor of a local church. All of us play a part in how to lovingly restore our brothers and sisters in Christ back to a right relationship with God. That's what we're talking about today. It's a tough assignment, right? I mean, where you step in, lovingly make contact with somebody, and invite them back, it's not easy. Here's what James says about it. He says there's a reality. Wandering happens. We know this from our own experience. We know it from the reality of watching other people because all of us drift away at some point. All of us have moments where we are sort of drifting more or moments where we are closer to the Lord. We all wander to a certain degree. That's why we used to sing this song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. And so all of us have had that. But James is really talking about people who have kind of over a long period of time begun to drift further and further and further away from the faith in their belief and their behavior. And Paul addresses that in 1 Timothy 4.16. Paul writes, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Watch your life. Watch how you behave. Watch your doctrine, watch what you believe, watch what you teach, and persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Some people wander away by their behavior. Maybe the riches and the cares of this world have kind of drawn them away, they've kind of gotten a hold of their heart, and because of that, it's drawn them away from a relationship with God. The things of this world have become more appealing. And uh, you remember the story of Judas, who betrayed Jesus, he betrayed him for what, 30 pieces of silver, it began to get a, a, a stronghold in his heart. 
people sell out also when they become disillusioned. And there's an example of that in the New Testament of a guy named John Mark who was living faithfully with God and he was traveling with Paul. And yet one day on one of those missionary journeys, he said, I'm just a, a bit beat up by the whole thing. And he became disillusioned and said, I'm not taking the next journey. Paul said, I don't want him on the journey with me. Barnabas said, I'll take him. And uh, they ended up going one way, and Paul engaged another guy named Silas, and the gospel ended up being spread even further, and God used that. But the point is, John Mark came to a time in his life where he was a bit disillusioned with it all. We all have gotten to there as well, a bit disappointed with God maybe. Other people wander away just strictly out of carelessness. They lost touch. They didn't focus on their relationship with the Lord and the church. And they just become like the lost sheep that Jesus talked about in Luke 15, where they were once there protected. They were in the sheep pen, so to speak. And then over time, they just drifted and wandered away from the Lord. Now, there are a lot of other reasons, but those are some of the main reasons why people wander. Second Timothy chapter 2 talks about how not only is it our behavior, but also our belief. And Paul says that by false teaching and godless chatter, it spreads like wildfire in the church. And so sometimes people get caught up in false teachings or maybe the thoughts of the world. In fact, right now it's very popular. I just taught a class recently and had very interesting dialogues within this class. Sometimes I teach at the university and the classes are very engaging. And and, uh, I've told you about some of those stories, but in this case... I had a couple of students who just absolutely were not open to godliness or the Bible or Christian truth at all, and it made for a very, very, very interesting discussion, the entire uh, class together. And really this idea of absolute truth, the Bible being true, that's so prevalent today that we come into a place like this, people sometimes, they aren't sure about it. Uh, A couple years ago, I was with a local pastor friend, we were drinking coffee at a local coffee shop. And we started to engage on the topic of Christ and what their church teaches, et cetera, et cetera. And he said in the middle of the conversation, you know what? I believe in the Jesus of the Bible, but I think that Jesus is sort of big enough that he changes over time. That, In other words, I believe in an experiential Jesus, that my experience of Jesus, whatever that is, sort of trumps whatever the Bible says. In other words, if I experience a Jesus that, well, really, even the doctrine of hell, he was like, I don't really believe in that. I think that was an old, outdated, antiquated idea. And I think Jesus over time has changed on some of those things. And I go, I go, I about spewed my coffee. And then I go, um, I really, I had to think through and say, well, you know what? The Bible does say Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and really that his word isn't just a personal word. It's a universal word. And, and so we talked about that. That church doesn't exist any longer today. I do think there is something in our heart that longs for truth. Colossians 2.8, it says, See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Not only can there be some people who say there's no absolute truth, some people can say, My church... And the traditions of our church trump everything else, even the Scripture. And so one way or the other, we have to be careful. But friends, there is this kind of belief or behavior that sometimes can drift us away from Christ. Secondly, there's a responsibility because the stakes are high. James writes, if you rescue someone who has drifted away, you will save them from potential death. 
James is saying the stakes are so high, guys. He's saying you get in there and you get after people in a very loving way and try to bring them back. That's what James is saying. Because he said, life and death is at stake. If you don't believe me, here are two very difficult and challenging scriptures. The writer of Hebrews says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. What does that mean? It means, listen, if you had the truth, but over time you pushed further and further away from that, you continue to sin deliberately, not periodically, not I made a mistake, but you have a deliberate attitude of sin that one day you'll wake up and God will go, I'm over here now and you have drifted way over there. And you get to the point where you go, I don't even need God anymore. And God goes, look, I've done everything I can for you. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20 says, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so they are a Christian, and they're again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. In other words, they had the gift, then they rejected the gift. And Peter says, that's a big deal. The stakes are high when somebody wanders away from God. It's a scary thing. How many of you as parents have ever lost a child somewhere, even for a few minutes? Raise your hand high and disappointingly. All right? Okay, all of us, a lot of us. And uh, we've all been in that moment where the child just wanders off. And you go, what happened? Where are they? I don't know what happened to them. Of course, some of you guys are like, depending on which kid it was, you're just like, all right, go ahead. You know, it's fine. Don't worry about it. But we had, uh, Hannah was two years old. I told you before that we lost her at the Strawberry Festival up in Troy, Ohio. Thousands of people were there. She walks off. She's two years old. We have no idea. One minute, two minute, three minutes. We were going to look, look, look. We can't find her. Uh, about eight minutes later, ten minutes later, we've been ten minutes. A little inter- announcement over the intercom comes on the says, uh, with the parents of a little two-year-old girl with a little blue jean shorts and a red shirt, I still remember, will they please come to the police tent? Your daughter is here. And you know how it is. I mean, in that moment, we are running to the police. Tell me where the police tent is. And there she is, completely oblivious to the whole thing. You know, I mean, just sucking on a sucker, you know, hat sideways. I don't know. And just, hey, no big deal. And we're panicking. Until she realizes, and then we hug her big time, and she realizes, uh uh-oh, something had happened. She'd walked across all those rows of displays and was in the parking lot. That's how far away she had gotten from us when they found her. You know, I think there are a lot of people who don't really know that they're lost until they're found. And there are a lot of people who wander away from the truth, but maybe don't fully even realize the danger of what is happening. Their drift is a slow drift, as one of the... uh, Christian song says it's a slow fade. And they've just kind of slowly faded away from the Lord and and they don't even realize the danger that they are in. But somebody has to come to them lovingly and say, hey, you don't understand maybe everything, but I want you to come back. Clearly somebody should bring them back. Our temptation though is to ignore it, right? Who am I to judge, we say. I'm not perfect myself, so who am I to kind of encourage somebody else. Maybe they'll just come back on their own. I don't want to lose a relationship. We can find a lot of excuses, but love is the difference. 
A father and a son had this really bad relationship. They really struggled a lot. And so the son one day just took off. And the dad was out looking for him, trying to find him over a long period of time. And could not find his son. And eventually one of his friends said, if that were my son, I would have just washed my hands of him. And the man, the dad said, if that were your son, I would have washed my hands of him too. But he's not my, your son. He's my son. Love makes a difference. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love always perseveres. How can you effectively bring somebody in, though? You do it with love. How do you approach someone? Are there any Bible examples of how somebody approached someone? Because you can definitely mess this up. In fact, Proverbs 10, verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. If you don't uh, kind of have an approach of love, it can cause more alienation and more harm than good. If you're an abrasive personality and you're like, I'm just going to tell them what for or point them out, then you have the potential of, of losing them altogether. This is true for parents and children too. Is there a Bible example of this? There is. When King David wandered away from the truth and committed adultery with Bathsheba, then he tried to cover it up by arranging for her husband to be killed so that then David could marry her. And the Bible tells us that David had been a man after God's own heart, but for almost a year now he had been holding this secret. And then God went to a prophet named Nathan and said, I want you to go to David and I want you to confront his sin. Now, just for a minute, put yourself in David's shoes, I mean, in Nathan's shoes. Nathan is about to go confront the most powerful man in all the world. He'd already killed one guy, right? And so his knees must have been really knocking as he processed, how am I going to ever talk to David? Here's how he did it. He decided he would tell him a story. So one day, Nathan goes to David, and he says, David, I want to share with you a story. And he says, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. And the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. And um, he had plenty of resources. But the poor man, he didn't have a lot of resources. And he only had one little lamb, a little ewe lamb that he loved. And he bought. And he loved it so much that he like raised it like a child. I mean, he ate at his table and he even had it lay down uh, and sleep in his arms. This was a dear little sheep to him. And uh, one day there was a traveler coming through town and the rich man knew the traveler was coming in town and he wanted to host a party for him. And he looked at his vast number of sheep and cattle and he said, you know what? I'm not going to prepare those for a meal. I don't want to waste my resources. Oh, there's a poor man. He's got a lamb. I'll take his lamb. And that's what he did. Nathan said, this guy took this other man's lamb and he brought it in and he slaughtered it and they had it for dinner and the traveler um, ate that lamb and David heard that story and the Bible says he burned with anger against the man and he said Nathan surely as the Lord lives that man must surely die he must pay the the man the poor man four times because he did such a thing and had no pity you see what's going on here don't you because David Nathan is is Really working on David's heart here. He's working on his conscience. And Nathan, I think very lovingly and not finger pointing kind of way, looks at David and says, David, you are that man. And David realizes he's the rich man with all of these resources. God has blessed him with so much. He's blessed him with 
with, in his case, wives. He's blessed him with family and, and his riches and all of this. And yet he took the bride, the wife of this other man, and then had the man killed. And David realized, and so David's countenance dropped in that moment. Now again, put yourself in Nathan's shoes because even when you're confronting him and you're saying, David, you are that man, I mean, Nathan must have known what this meant as he was confronting David. But David, his countenance changed. He realized, God, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against your kingdom. And God, I beg for forgiveness. This led to him later writing a psalm that goes like this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. And David was restored. Now, how did Nathan do it? One way was he mustered up the courage to go. I mean, how many times do we know something needs to happen? Someone needs to be um, shared with and talked to and lovingly restored. But how many times have we said, no, I'm not going to do it. Somebody else can do that. But Nathan had the courage to do it. He looked beyond uh, really his own kind of struggles and he did it anyway. And let me just say to you, those of you who say, look, I wouldn't care. I'd be happy to do it. Let me just challenge you, you're probably not the person for the job, all right? If you come at it with an abrasive personality, you're, you're probably not going to win many people. But if you come at it with a humble attitude, but you're courageous enough to go, that's the first thing. The second thing is you've got to follow through. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the willingness to do it anyway because you know it's the right thing to do. Notice when Nathan went at the right time, he didn't run right over and, and jump right up there the first time. As soon as he heard about it, no, there was a period of time and God waited for the right timing and Nathan just lovingly came in. He followed through. Then Nathan, Nathan went with the facts. He didn't bring rumors. He knew exactly what had transpired. He didn't uh, depend on the rumors. He didn't depend on false accusations. So much damage is done when people don't really know and they take a rumor and they go with it. Love means you know the truth. And then... You go only in love, and you choose your words very carefully. My experience is people don't respond very well to demands or finger-pointing, even your own children. My experience is that people more often will respond to love and to grace. Hey, I noticed you haven't been at church for a while. I just want you to know you're missed. Yeah. Now, sometimes you'll run into somebody who goes, you know what? They've become hardened by whatever they're doing. And the Bible says that you can sear your conscience, your heart can become heart, your heart can become heart, your heart can become hardened, and this happens. And um, what happens when that happens is there's an aggressiveness sometimes when you approach somebody. That's why you always have to do it with the right attitude and the right heart. We're called to rescue the fallen, and the reality is some Christians are going to wander from the truth, but the responsibility is we all have that responsibility to love them and to bring them back. And when we do, there is a great reward, salvation and restoration. James talks about this dual reward, salvation and restoration. It says, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, he could be talking about physical death here. There could be somebody in some addictive behavior or on some dangerous road that the more they go down that road, you are literally saving them from a physical death. But he could also mean a spiritual death. They've gone so far down that road. They've drifted so far away. 
that what happens is that, that they're, they're very difficult to reach now and they're really in spiritual jeopardy. But then he says that when you do it, it covers over a multitude of sins. And First Peter, Peter says it this way in chapter 4, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. There's two approaches here. Either you could heap up and pile on somebody all their sins, all their challenges, and go, you did this and this and this and this. Or love covers over a multitude of sins and just simply says, I love you so much. It doesn't matter what you've done because you know what? Many times I've been in your same shoes. And so love just says, hey, I'm with you. Why don't you come back home? A few years ago now, the story really gripped the heart of those who heard it. John Souter was swimming in Deem Lake in southern Indiana, and he went walking out toward the boat dock in the swimming area. And while he was walking, he had his young son on his shoulders, and he took a step, and he stepped on what felt like a body. And he quickly um, handed his son off to somebody who was nearby and dove into the water And he discovered that there were two small girls that had been drowned there for some time. Five-year-old and nine-year-old sisters. They immediately started to administer CPR. But about that time, somebody said, where is their four-year-old brother? He'd wandered off as well, and a panic began to hit that lake. And all the swimmers got out of that lake. And they began to yell at one another. They began to to give instruction to one another. They said, let's form a line. Let's form a line. Let's gather up together, guys. Let's go arm in arm. Let's sweep this lake together. Let's see if he's out in the lake. Come on, everybody. Let's go. Now, for just a second, put yourself in that lake. What would you feel like if that was your son? What would you feel like if you were gathered arm in arm with other people in that lake? What kind of urgency would you feel what kind of caution would you take with every step what how would you approach even trying to to feel the water so that you knew and you could try to discover this young boy the urgency of that the desperation of that well the boy was found he was actually over on the side standing on the shore watching everything happen. He had wandered, but he had not wandered into the water. And thankfully, to the Lord and to John Souter, the two girls survived, and they came home from the hospital. But can you imagine that moment, friends? That moment of desperation, that feeling of urgency. And here's what I love about this place, is there is this overwhelming sense in this place of gratitude to the Lord there's an overwhelming sense in this place of love for one another and there is this urgency I pray that we would restore people that we love so much that we would restore people back to right relationship with God here's what I'm asking that if there's somebody that you know that you're friends with maybe somebody who has been part of this fellowship and and you know they're struggling in some area you be the one to reach out and say listen I I want you to know how much I care about you. If you know somebody's struggling in some way, maybe they've given up on God and all they need is somebody to say, you're valuable to God. God loves you so much. Maybe they need somebody to talk to. Or maybe there's somebody that's not a part of this fellowship, but they've, they've kind of wandered and become distant from the Lord anyway. And you know that they're so focused on other things 
And like our two-year-old daughter, when she was lost, was just blissfully, happily, not even knowing she was lost. And maybe there are people around you that don't even realize that they're lost, but they're just looking, and maybe for nothing, but maybe you need to be the person that comes and says, hey, I know things seem like they're going great, but I just want you to know I'm here for you. And um, I know you're hanging out on the weekends and doing other things, but um, I want you to know you have friends here and, and, uh, and encourage them to come back or encourage them to find that relationship with God. Here's what I found out in my life. That when I do that, and that when I demonstrate true, authentic compassion, that many, many times people respond far better than you would ever imagine. That's what I'm asking you to do. You know, the challenge that we all face um, is becoming like Jesus. And if you've read the book of James through this time, it, it is a probing book, isn't it? And boy, it has helped us be more like Jesus. And I want to tell you, that we're moving from this series to a two-week series on the home, one week on marriage, one week on parenting. Then the last Sunday in the month of May, we are doing Access Go. And we, in the, on Memorial Day weekend, we're going to have a 9.30 worship hour, and then after that, we're going to four different locations to have cookouts with people who are elderly, people who have special needs, people in a, in a neighborhood that don't have as much, or people that have served uh, in some honorable uh, way as heroes in this country. And we're going to go to four different locations, and we're going to provide ice cream and other things for them. So I'm going to encourage you guys. We're going to tell you more about it in the next couple of weeks to come. So, but mark that on your calendar. And then this summer, we're going headlong into a series called GQ, Got Questions. And we're going to deal with some of the difficult questions of faith, like, is Christianity too narrow? Is God knowable? And does God want to know me personally? Is Jesus the only way? Things like this. And so all summer we'll be dealing with those kind of questions, and I want to encourage you guys to, uh, to be back for that. Let me, uh, let me pray. God, thank you so much for um, moments like this where we're able to kind of come together and evaluate and process what it means to be a follower of yours. And God, I pray that we are convicted by the words of James. And I know that a lot of times we want to avoid difficult conversations. We want to avoid situations. We want to say, God, this is between you and them, not between us. But God, James gives a very clear call here that we are called as brothers and sisters in Christ to feel the same sort of urgency and even more as that those individuals did on Deem Lake in southern Indiana. That God, they looked for the opportunity to find the one that was lost and they did it with all urgency all desperation because they knew the stakes were so high. So God, don't let us believe the lie that the enemy wants to teach us. That the stake does, aren't, stakes aren't really that high and it doesn't really matter that much. God, help us to understand that it does matter. And it matters to you because people matter to you. God, thank you for this um, family of believers. This team focused on mission. And God, today we celebrate you. We honor you. We pray for Sabrina, God, here in a couple moments, who's going to be baptized into Christ. And God, we celebrate with her today and her family. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.